Good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. But let's take a moment, go to the Lord in prayer. Again, it's good to be in the presence of the Lord. And I'm going to lead us to the throne of grace. And if you would join me in just a moment in the Lord's Prayer, you will see it on the inside cover if you need it of the red hymnals that are there in the pews. But let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for your love, your grace, the assurance that you give us as your children. That, Lord, we can gather together, struggle together, work together, and serve together as we come to worship. Lord, knowing that it's the body that brings us together, that allows us to bear the fruit necessary to bring you glory. Lord, we pray for the so many in our church that have been hurting, those that have been sick, those that have been going through surgeries and rehabilitation. Lord, we have those that are facing treatments. We have those that are finishing treatments. Lord, we're just reminded that our bodies, Lord, because of sin, are ailing. They're wasting away. And one day, Lord, they will be made renewed in your presence. Lord, when we obtain our spiritual bodies, just like your son Jesus when he rose from the grave. Lord, I pray here this morning that that unity that we'll have in heaven could be reflected today within our families, our marriages, our relationships, our work lives, and our church life. Lord, that the true unity that only comes when the Holy Spirit is present. Make him real this morning. Lord, we do know that, again, we've never done anything to deserve your grace. We've never earned it by the works or the kind things that we've tried to do. Lord, we're simply allowed to come into your presence because of what your son has done for us. And so, Lord, we come, we pray as he taught us, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you would, please, this morning as we continue, if you'll stand, if you're able with me, as we do our call to worship, I'll read the light print if you'll join with me in reading the bold print together, and then we'll open with our song from our hymn book, hymn number 101, Come Thou Almighty King. But if you would, join me in the call to worship from Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. Jesus, Amen. You may be seated for just a moment. Take your bulletins and turn with me as we do our confession of our faith together. And as we call ourselves to confess our sins together, what a blessing it is that we can be a part of a fellowship that is unashamed to confess our truths, and one that is also unashamed to confess that we are sinners, and that it is through Jesus Christ alone that we are able to be in God's presence. So as we confess our faith, taken from the Westminster Larger Catechism, as we've been working through it, 
Let me read the questions, if you would please join with me as we share together in the answer that is there before you. Question 10 says, or asks, what are the personal properties of the three persons in the Godhead? It is proper to the Father to beget the Son, and to the Son to be God of the Father, and to the Holy Ghost to proceed from the Father and the Son from all eternity. Question 11 asks, how does it appear that the Son and the Holy Ghost are God equal with the Father? The scriptures manifest the Son of God, Holy Ghost, ascribing unto them such names. Let me read, if I can, from Hebrews chapter 4, an opportunity for us to call us to confession. And someone had asked me one time, why must we confess our sins to one another? And we're not confessing our sins. We don't ask that you empty your soul before us. What we're doing is confessing our sins with one another this morning to the Lord. And so there are times we confess to one another our shortcomings, and we need to ask forgiveness from each other. But this morning, it is a welcome privilege to be able to know that God has opened the door, that the only mediator we need is Jesus Christ, His Son. And so we learn the important truth of coming to Him. And so let me read from Hebrews chapter 4, if I can, beginning in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. And so I encourage you this morning as we draw near to the throne of grace. Let's read together our confession of sin prayer, and then we can find assurance of pardon together. Pray with me. Forgive us our sins, O Lord. Forgive us the sins of our youth and the sins of our age, the sins of our soul and the sins of our body, our secret and our whispering sins, our presumptuous and our careless sins, the sins we have done to please ourselves, and the sins we have done to please others. Forgive us the sins that we know and the sins that we know not. Forgive them, O Lord. Forgive them all because of your great goodness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And you know, the assurance that comes when we confess our sin is to know that we have a Savior that has never in Scripture, turn down one who has come to him, has never said no to the one who begs for pardon, and has always provided the assurance necessary. Here in Isaiah 53, we find the assurance that says this, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. 
We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There is no other place that you will find the forgiveness of your sins and the cleansing that is necessary to live the peaceful, unified life than in Jesus Christ. I hope that you brought your Bibles to follow along with us as we go through this morning. We've been studying the Psalms of Ascent, and it's all about that journey, as we've been singing about here this morning. It's that journey back to a relationship with our Father through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not here this morning to challenge any one person about your life and what you've been doing. Now, sometimes you'll leave the place and say, Pastor, you've been stepping on my toes. I'm glad. Uh, You step on mine all the time. Believe it or not, as a pastor, there are so many sermons I listen to each week as I have a chance to minister and talk to you and share your burdens and your hurts, your frustrations. It's as you're ministering and sharing with me that I too see God working and fulfilling what it is He wants to do in our lives. It's the unity together. Now, our families are different than that in Scripture. Let me encourage you that there is hope if you come from a dysfunctional family. I'm not saying that the, the Christian church is any better than your family at home and that it should look identical, but there is one thing I can say that is so true about the family of God that is different from the families on earth, earthly born children, and that is this, in the family of God, you are never an only child. There is no such thing as children born of God and living by themselves. There is a sibling rivalry that exists, even in the church. And yes, I know we could go on to it here in Psalm 133, where many would believe as David is writing uh, about this unity over the events that has taken place even in his life. We find ourselves answering this question this morning when it comes to the body of Christ. It's not this question, am I a part That is not the right question. The right question should be asked this. How should I live so I can be a part? Because there is no decision outside being part of the body of Christ. You cannot be saved and still have desires to be alone, to be away, to be by yourself, to serve separately. These are things that can't happen. You can ask yourself the proper questions. What can I do? as a part of the church? That's a proper question. Or maybe even, where do I fit in in the church as a proper question? Or maybe even, when can I start would be a good question when it comes to serving in the church. But the one question Satan wants you to listen to, do you think you really are a part of the church? And to try to find ways to convince you you're not, that the church doesn't need to exist. It's just an institution, as so many have made it. And so when David here writes out and singing the Psalms of Ascent, and we find this community together in unity, we realize that our families are no different. We, too, have sibling rivalry. If I asked you to raise your hand today of how many of you have gotten into an argument with your brothers and sisters, how many of you would raise your hand if I asked you to raise your hand? 
You just want to raise your hand. That's all it is. No, the truth of it is we all have these rivalries. They go clear back to the earliest of days. Folks, we could go to the earliest families that we know of. We believe it to be true history is that when God created us, we could go to the records of Genesis when we find the parents had their children, Cain and Abel, and the rivalry that existed. We could even move forward many a, a years, if you wish, and we could say, do you remember the story of Joseph and his brothers? Do you remember the rivalry that existed there and to where they got to a point they wanted to throw him in a pit and get rid of him because of him being the father's favorite, they felt? Or what about if we moved back to the times of even David and his brothers as they would tease him of being their father's favorite, being treated differently, being angry? You see, we all come from families that have rivalries. Living in unity is not something that just happens. Unity must be sought out. It must be answered in the reality of the Holy Spirit that makes us different. Yes, marriages are different when they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, parenting is different when you have the Holy Spirit. Yes, being a good neighbor is different when you have the Holy Spirit. Everything changes when you have the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, you cannot create a unity outside the body of Christ. There's too much fighting going on. Folks, it's not just with sibling rivalries and big families. I only had a family of four others. I had a half-brother that came and lived for a while with us. My kids alone, eight of them. Of course, they've never fought before. But there's a rivalry there. Always wanting to be the best. If you're one of the smallest in the children uh, in your family, you know how to win. You've learned what it takes to get what you want from everybody else. Especially around the dinner table. We used to tease in a big family. You can always guarantee yourself first picks when the prayer is over, if you'll just lick your fingers and go, mine, 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 mine. <laughs> Put a little tag on it. Nobody else wants it. There's all kinds of tricks we learn to overcome rivalries. But you can't overcome conflict, not even with yourself. You all know the crazy story, the fights that take place within. I won't give you the whole story about the gentleman stranded on his island for many, many years by himself, finally to be found and uncovered by a tour that was out in the oceans cruising along. It was a nice tour of hundreds and hundreds of people, and they came across an island and realized that a man had been living there for years and years and years. As they came across him and they began to ask him questions about his islands and all the things he had built in his huts and all these, they noticed there were these three steeples. And so they began to ask him, I said, listen, I just want to ask you one thing. You've told us you're here all by yourself. He said, well, yes. He said, well, then what's that building over there? He said, that's my church. He said, I knew I could not live long if I didn't have a church to go and to worship God. And they said, yeah, but you're here by yourself. He said, yeah. He said, well, then when, what's that over there? He said, that's my other church. When I got into a church split in the first one, I started another one. <laughs> and that's where I ended up. And they just began to count them. Because even in your own life, folks, we have disagreements within ourselves. And we church splits have been from the beginning of time, if we could say that. But here, we find how good it is. Listen to the words of the Holy Spirit, inspired writings, when it starts off, how good it is when we dwell together in unity. Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. 
It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard of the beard of Aaron. He was the high priest, our first high priest, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon. That's the largest, highest, I should say, mountain in the region, which falls onto the lower mountains there around Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. That's it. If we're going to talk about unity, we only get three verses to summarize what it takes to be together. And I pray this morning, if I can take you on a quick journey as we prepare our hearts even to be unified around the table of the Lord, that maybe this morning, this is the morning you need to realize you have not been dwelling together in unity. You've been making it work. You've been getting along. You've been getting through, but it's time to do it in unity. Living together is important. Listen to what it says, how good and pleasant it is when they dwell together in unity. That's the phrase that comes out of Hebrew. Let me give you some of the rundown. That Hebrew phrase of living together is also translated to be seated together or to sit together. So think about it in the context of worship, of the families that would gather together on this march back to Jerusalem in the time in which they would go back to worship God, and you find yourself even here this morning dwelling together in unity. If we could translate it back, how pleasant and good it is when people can sit together in unity. It's got a community aspect to it. It's always related to a communal meal. When we go back to the feasts and the festivals, as we see this word of being dwelling or or living together, it's that communal aspect of a meal, of a common fellowship together, maybe around the table. If we put it in our context, it would be the time in which everybody comes home for Thanksgiving and gathers around the table and you pull up the extra chairs and everybody dwells together in unity. So it should be when we gather together. That's the analogy, sitting together to dwell. It's the same word, yakad is the same word that is used, catch this, in dwelling and living together is the same word that is used when Abraham and Isaac went together to the altar of sacrifice. And we're asked to live together like they were together. Can you imagine the intimacy involved between Abraham and Isaac as they went together to the altar for sacrifice. One just about to give everything else up with the other. You see, unity is hard to grasp if we take it outside of the scriptural context because unity always is in the connection of this conforming together in the body of Christ. Not being conformed to the things of this world we'll learn, but being put together into a body in which all parts are equal. There is none greater than the other. It is not a a body built around a pastor who's most important. It's not a body built around those elected as elders who have the right to be over everybody else. Or the deacons who have a board of their own and can make their own choices. Or those that are in leaderships of teaching. Folks, we're one. We're equal. We actually live to not only worship together, but to serve together. To create a context in which the rest of the world would say, 
I wish I had that. Just think what the world would be like if they had what we have. So this morning, the challenge is just where are we? Community is essential. We've said it before. There's no solitary Christians. Even with Adam created, had the whole world to himself, folks, think about it. How could Adam not be enough for himself? How could he not have everything he ever wanted? How could he not find peace and security? How could he not accomplish when the whole world was set before him? And yet we're still told that there was no one what? Suitable. I wonder if we could dive into the depths of the Trinity and find out about what existed between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We'll see a little bit later the importance of Jesus' prayer for that. Just what really exists when people come together in an atmosphere that's dominated by the Spirit of God. Just how much of self truly exists when we said we have died to self. That we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. I wonder how many dissensions, arguments, frustrations, and quarrels we could overcome if we would just stop thinking about how it affects us and start thinking about how we could change it to serve someone else. It's amazing how sin creeps in. But we're not doing this by ourselves. We can't work alone. We need the church. All of us need to be together. We find that all the time around us where people want to serve in a place in the church by themselves. Pastor, I'm willing to serve. Now catch this, but can you put me in something where I can do it by myself? I get a lot more done when I work by myself. Is that you? Isn't it hard to get along? The point isn't that I want you to get a job done as a pastor. The point is I want you to learn to work together while you get the job done. I don't even care what the job is. Parents, it's not that you get your kids raised. It's that did you work together as you raised them? Or did you just get the job done? Workers, it's not that you can tell your boss, we just did it. I did it by myself and I accomplished the task. It's how did you do it, bringing others alongside you as you did it. Whole different mindset when you're truly living in the family of a community that's filled with Christ. I'm not here to pick on your relationships. I know community is essential, and I know the people of the faith are a people of community gathered together in Christ alone. That's the only thing that draws us together. If you're here in church this morning because you like being in a country church, you're here for the wrong reason. If you're here because you like the way the church looks, you're here for the wrong reason. If you're here because we can sing the songs that you like, you're here for the wrong reason. If you're here even because you're able to do the things you like to do, you're here for the wrong reason. You're only here for the right reason if you came to hear your pastor speak. If he speaks about Jesus Christ. The only reason that we are unified is because we have the one who unifies us. Because we are so different. We are so selfish. We are so self-centered. 
if we were to be honest, that the only way it works is when we take our focus off of ourselves and the Holy Spirit changes our hearts to put it on someone else. We are not here to be a club, but to be a church. So what is the difference? Obviously, listen to what he writes. Brothers, when they dwell in unity, it's like this precious oil that runs down. It's like the dew that flows down. These are the analogies that we're getting. But before we get that, we have to understand that Christians, think about this. New Testament people living together in the church, we're reminded. You see, there's all kinds of conflicts and differences between us. The unity that comes only in Christ. Think about this. If we were to take the Psalter and place it into the New Testament context in which we were being encouraged to live together, encourage one another, and stay uh, with and alongside those that are hurting, where would we find that? Where would we go to find the answers to those things? Many of you would probably say, well, let's go back to Hebrews. Because it's in Hebrews chapter 10 that you've heard this so many times. Listen to what we find when we start listening to Hebrews 10, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Isn't it amazing? That what separates the church is that there's something about us that's drawing us together. Part of the problems in the early testament was that Christians began to leave. They began to be different. They began to have conflicts and they began to go out. And John writes about that. You all know the verse when he says those that are going out from us were not really what? Of us. They can't be of us if the attitude is if it's not my way, it's going to be a different way completely. I'm out of here. I can't support something that I totally disagree with. Folks, be careful. The church was never designed to minister to you and you alone. If you could take it in an easy sense, if we said to you as an individual, we only want those who want to study the book of James. All about good works. How many of you would stay in the church if we studied James forever? I mean, I would. I love James, right? It doesn't make sense, but what, what, what about Paul? What are we going to do when we talk about the other writers? How are we going to know that the whole truths are being met? What if I said to you, let's just stay everybody who likes the color blue. If you're going to come to our church, we're going to remodel, and we're going to go into shades of blue. How many of you would stay? No, wow. I guess blue is not the color. Those are crazy questions, but folks, that's the reality of it. Because churches split over the types of tables we have, the types of chairs we set up, over how the yard is mowed, over what types of trees we're going to plant, over which rooms we're going to be in, and the boards that are on the wall, and how we get along, and what the stage looks like in the pulpit if it's not glass, or if we don't have special words, or even if it's not over the King James Version. Folks, isn't it amazing that we even have people leave the body of Christ over differences of the truth. Whether we read from one version or another. Oh, I just ask you this morning to think for just a moment. It's only three verses. Just where are you dwelling in the unity of your church together? Keep this in mind. We must sit 
together. We live in a generation that's made it even easier than ever before to stay at home. I'm glad we're able to minister to you. I thank the Lord for our technology teams. I thank the Lord for those of you who are learning how to broadcast and podcast and outcast and all these things that we do to make it work. You guys have put it together so that others at home can see it. But you know what the downside of that is? Now the encouragement is almost, you can have the same thing at home that you can have here. And folks, the Hebrew says, at home you cannot sit together in unity. You cannot commune together in unity. See, the problem of it is we want to live in a world in which we separate everybody out, tear everybody apart. I'm not saying there's not days that you shouldn't be at home. There are days you should stay home. We're going to miss you. But where should be the one place your heart desires to be? It should be in the place where we commune and sit together and dwell in unity. How are we going to get that? These New Testament church people tell us today, we've got to be able to gather together. We've got to be able to overcome. The psalmist knew it. David wrote about it. We could gather together to not only worship together before the Lord, but to serve together before the Lord. We saw that happen when Nehemiah gathered together the people to serve his kingdom. We saw it in the judges when they gathered the people together to go and lead. We, we saw it when the building of the temple, the rise up, the people brought their gifts. Folks, we serve together alongside one another. Unity is, is not uniformity. It doesn't mean we get rid of diversity. Unity doesn't mean that there's no differences. What unity is, is we set aside some differences in order to be able to work together. Now, don't leave this place and say, well, Pastor Jerry said you could set aside these sins. Why? No. We're not talking about sin. None of us want to work side by side with that. But we have differences. God made us different. We've got to understand how this unity comes together. It's like a tapestry, so many have said. Let me give you the Jerry's form of tapestry. When I was a kid, I don't even know what you called it, but my sisters had these little carpets that they could buy in the craft shop. And it was like a mat of a bunch of just, like just a mat with squares. And you could take these little pieces of yarn and you would stick this thing through there. It would hook on and you'd pull it back through. And you would pull each one through each little square and you would make your own carpet. And I began to think to myself, because back then we didn't have carpet, and I began to think, well, if they made enough of those, I could put them side by side on my floor, and I could have carpets. Because when you looked at them, you could have lions, you could have cats, you could have penguins, you could have sport teams. They were wonderful carpet that you made with pictures. But if you looked at the other side of it, like any tapestry, all it looked like was a bunch of knots. And people say that's what the church should be like. It's tying ourselves in knots, realizing we've got to let go of ourselves and putting the best part through so that what the world sees is a wonderful tapestry of Christ. Oh, I'll be honest with you. I've tied myself in knots before. Let me rephrase that. How many of you have ever held your tongue for the sake of another? That's what we're talking about. We're not asking you to give in to sin. We're not asking you to compromise. We're asking you to realize that things don't always have to be your way. 
Individualism is dominating our church. And now we've got to change it. Look at verse 2. It's like the precious oil, your rod, the flowing downward. That's the word that is used. It's a constant flow downward. It's the same words that were used when we had, uh, if you remember in the story of Noah, I mean of Jonah, when he was going downward in the ship, it was flowing down to the bowels. It was flowing down to the bottom. When he was running away, it was flowing down to uh, Nineveh when he finally went. Those were the words that are used. It's the same word that is used throughout here that says it is like this precious oil. Well, what is this oil, folks? It's the anointing that takes place. How do we get this oil, this flowing down as if it's coming from God? That's the picture. It's not the beard. It's not the collar or the skirts that they use. There's no special imagery in this. Dealing with Aaron, it's the fact that the priest was set apart for a special relationship to help mediate between the people and God. And the anointing was the flowing down of God, setting this person apart so that they would be treated in a special way. Folks, if you understand what I think David is crying out for, as he said, the church should be like that. You ought to be able to turn and look at your brother or sister and realize that the same anointing that was given to the high priest Aaron is the anointing that's given to the body of Christ. And you ought to be able to look at your brother and sister as one who is specially set apart for God's purposes. And if you can look to the one next to you and realize that they're supposed to be specially set apart by God, how could you treat them so severely? How could you treat them so selfishly? It is flowing down that's constantly taking place, set apart for one another, not only to help one another and serve one another, but folks, the priest was the picture of forgiveness. To say that we have this flowing down from us, from the heavens above, is the grace that allows us to forgive. This morning, I could ask each and every one of you, who is it you must forgive? Folks, sometimes you need to forgive the people that don't even know they've offended you. And it's tearing you up, not them. It's ripping your life apart, not theirs. They've done something. They've said something. And you've taken it wrong. You've implied more to it. You've inferred a teaching out of it. And you've become bitter and upset. And it's ruining your life. It's separated your friendship. Your family's torn asunder. You're no longer together. And yet you were anointed to be the one that said, I'm not only here to serve together, but to forgive together. Are we a picture of forgiveness? That people can run to the church in a time of need. Find Christ, the one that would help them. The dew, the symbol, look at what it says, like the dew of Hermon. Understand, from the largest mountain to the smallest of times around Zion, it's the same picture. It's the flowing down. It's the same terms. It's this dew that's flowing down and being provided for the people. It's the provisions, folks. Think about this. God is providing us a grace that sets us apart, that allows us to serve and minister, forgive one another. It's also there to provide for us. As the dew would provide, that makes no sense to some of you, but there would be so much dew on Mount Hermon that the streams would flow at times as the sun would rise and the dew would go. Before it would evaporate, it would run to the streams, it would come down to Zion and they could use those rivers, those waters for nourishment. It was provision. You can even go back to the book of Exodus. Do you remember what they called the manna that God provided? 
It was the what? The dew from heaven. Folks, what we're asking is the church is this picture. The body of Christ is this unity of people who have been set apart to not only serve together and to forgive one another, but to worship together and bring provision. Folks, if I had it my way, if I could interpret the scriptures clearly enough and had the ability enough, there should not be a one of us here this morning that is with need. Because if you have a need and you haven't shared it, the church is here to help fulfill it. We're together in unity. Oh, I know the world teaches you differently. It's yours. You earned it. You save it. You store it. You hold it. I hate what it'll be like when my brother or sister in Christ behind me in heaven says, Pastor, I'm so glad to see you, even though you never helped me, even though your church never ministered to me, even though you never reached out to change my condition, I'm still glad to see you in the presence of the Father. Is that us? Is that our church? Are we dwelling together in unity to be a picture of serving together? Are we here together as a picture of unity, forgiving one another? And are we providing for one another so that we are without needs? Oh, it begins to tell us the importance of part of this, this unity, providing together for works and growth. Listen to the word in verse 3. For there the Lord has commanded this blessing. You know what the blessing is? Life forevermore. Folks, the church is to be the picture of what eternity is supposed to be, is going to be. We're supposed to have heaven on earth. We're supposed to have his kingdom come. His will be done. Folks, we're supposed to have the Holy Spirit, he working through our hearts, our lives, changing us, making us different so that the world sees why everybody should want to be in heaven, why everybody should want to have what we have. The blessing of giving up living for ourselves and surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit is life evermore. We can start eternity today sharing the blessings we're supposed to have. This unity that we're supposed to have, John 17. You could turn there with me if you want. It's an amazing story. Right before Jesus is led out to the crucifixion, you ask, what is this blessing? What is it, this oneness we're supposed to have? It's the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17. Before he goes out and he's betrayed, you remember he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying his high priestly prayer. Let me just pick up in verse 20. Listen to what Jesus asks the Father. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you gave me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Unity. Without getting rid of our diversity. 
building together a community. No partiality. Be careful, folks. Unity does not mean uniformity. We said it earlier. There are too many people that believe if we're going to have unity, it's got to all be the same way. We've got to meet together at the same time, go to the same Bible studies, go to the same fellowships, be a part of the same activities, accomplish the same goals. Well, folks, that works when you're a church of 25. But if you're going to be a larger church, you've got to trust that your brothers and sisters can meet at different times, different ways, different places, different ministries to bring together the unity within the church. Oh, if I could summarize how the church could do it, we need to become less, if you wish to say, of an institution and more of a body. You see, sometimes we overlook the repentant sinner who's struggling with grave sin and play favorites with the one who's never repented, but their sin's not so scary. In other words, we choose which ones we think are okay and which ones we think are not. Does the church really play partiality? It's not going to come naturally. We said that it must be spirit-led. Let me prepare your hearts as we think about this true unity of giving up ourselves for others. The unity here that we're talking about, this life forevermore, is the picture of people sitting down together. Picture your family table. Picture the time your family comes together when grandma and grandpa or ginkama and papa or mima and peepa and all the names I've heard gathered together to sit at the table for fellowship. I will tell you this. It's not about the food. Sometimes Meemaw and Peepaw will sit down at a table to eat pizza when they hate it with a passion. And sometimes Grandma and Grandpa will give up their steaks and potatoes for spaghettis and meatballs. Because they're, the, they're not there just to get what they want. They're there to sit in the unity of community. They know when it's time to give up something in order to build something stronger. Maybe you're here today and you might say, well, we've never even sat around our table. You're truly missing out what it means to be fed. You're truly missing out on what it means to grow and to truly nourish your children. It's not the earthly food you made that's going to make them so strong. It's going to be the spiritual food you share that's going to prepare them for the life they face. Yes, we too have a table to sit at. It's a table where the community is brought together and unity is displayed. It's called the Lord's table. It's called the Lord's table. It's the table where we realize that Jesus didn't do it alone, and neither should you. You're here this morning, and you realize you need unity. 
Well, I can't come to the table because things just aren't right. I can't come to the table. I just disagree. I can't come to the table. I have too much frustration. I can't. You're wrong. You don't come to the table to get what you want. You come to the table because Jesus asked you to come. As a child of God, he wants to feed us. The true spiritual nourishment. This morning, Jesus invites you. Jesus invites you to the table to eat of his bread and to drink from his cup. To come together as a community, but thrive together in unity around Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you The Lord, not only do we eat and drink here this morning, but one day it will be while we're seated at the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we will have true unity of spirit, oneness that you prayed for. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, we come this morning preparing our hearts and our minds that you would fill us spiritually, that you would change us, bring about repentance, nourish our faith, strengthen us wherever we are. If we have doubts, help us overcome. Lord, I pray if there's one here this morning that has never accepted your lordship, that, Lord, they would not take to drink judgment upon themselves, that they would patiently wait till they understand the importance that taking doesn't save. It's being saved that makes the taking so special. But Lord, I also pray that if in their heart's desire, your Holy Spirit is moved, that they want to be saved. They want to be a, a child of God. They want to see their life different. They want their sins forgiven. That, Lord, they would cry out to you in their hearts, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me of my sin. You are the only one that could take away my sins. Your death on the cross, your rising from the grave, it is you and you alone that can change me and bring unity to my life, to my family, and to my forever. And to you we give the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could have the officers come that are going to help this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We have the story of when Jesus gathered together with his disciples at the table. And they simply fenced it first and simply said this. Let me fence the table. If you're here this morning and you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. You're a Christian. You know without a doubt you've been baptized. You're part of a church. This supper is for you. Children, look at me. It's not for you yet until you've made a profession of faith. Children, if you've been baptized... It has been our prayer that one day as you grow, you're going to say, I too want to take that bread. I too want Jesus to nourish me. I too want to take of his drink so that I can be nourished. It's our prayer that you would one day come here to this table with a profession of faith. Adults, you too. It's my prayer that it's not just because you come to church, and it's not just that you're in church, but that you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is the one who died for your sins. 
I'm not saying you've lived the perfect life. I'm not saying that you don't have sin. And I'm not saying your life is perfectly unified in Christ. There's only one who's done that. So I'm inviting you to come as Jesus would invite you to come and take. That as we pass out the elements, I'll read about them. If you would just please take and hold them until we can all drink together. If you're here this morning and you don't take, it's okay. I'll read why. For children, hold on. Today's the day you go home and ask, Mom and Dad, when can I take? For parents who aren't sure, ask. Nick and I are here. The main thing is for those who are saved, I'll read it for you. It's a chance to nourish our faith. So as we begin with the bread, I'm going to ask that as they pass these out, that you would please take one and pass it along. I guess we're doing another here. Yes, go ahead. I'll hold this one. You take those two. Go ahead. Just start passing it out. I'm going to read. In, Hebrew, in 1 Corinthians 11, In the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What is this? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I shall not. For I received from the Lord what I'm also delivering to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take a moment, and I invite you to just take a moment and pray that the Lord would bring unity, purity, and peace to your life. If you're a child of God, you must trust the Holy Spirit is in you, changing you, and making you everything God wants you to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for forgiving us. We thank you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ, his body for us, that he would exchange places with us, that he would take our sin, that he would give us his obedience, his perfection, that there on the cross we would understand that our lives have been saved through him. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction. He would bring change. He would help us to repent, to change our minds to agree with you, that you are the one who planned and purposed it all. You are the one that provides it all. Help us to understand, acknowledge, and confess that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. He was there at the table that he took the bread and the loaf and he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's see. In the same way, if you would please take one of these as they pass it out and we prepare it. Go ahead. When Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come and then through the greater and more perfect tent, the one that was not made with hands, it's not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, 
not by the means of the blood of the goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. Thus he secured eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living God. This morning, as we pass this out, Paul writes them reminding us that it is only through the blood of Christ that our conscience can be cleansed, our guilt can be taken, and we know that he has now prepared us for eternity. Paul writes it this way, in the same way that he gave the bread, he also took the cup after the supper, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take a moment and pray. Ask the Lord to strengthen you. That as you take this morning, he would equip you to proclaim his death until he returns. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, his blood that was shed for us. Father, as the sacrifices, bloods flowed down over the Ark of the Covenant, as his blood flowed from his side, Lord, as we symbolize it in baptism today for the forgiveness of our sins, Lord, help us to realize the true cleansing comes through faith. Lord, that we trust your son, Jesus Christ, gave his life for us. His blood, the atoning sacrifice, his blood cleansing us and taking our sins that we might be free. Lord, I pray this morning that you would strengthen our faith, encourage us in our walk, and let us truly live that life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Let me pray, and then I'll ask if the officers will pass the offering plates, and we'll take up an offering while we're seated. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for preparing us and commissioning us, sending us out to go, that, Lord, we could truly make a difference in this world by being a reflection of your glory. Father, we thank you for all the blessings you've given us as we now come to an offering. Lord, we just ask that you'll take it, bless it, multiply it, and help it to further your kingdom, Father. Bless all of us for being a part in Jesus' name. Amen.
stand with me as we sing the doxology. would receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And God's children said, Amen. have a great Lord's Day.